Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network. A lot to get into following Washington's 20-17 loss at FedEx Field to Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings, pushing Washington to now 4-5 and five as they head in to Monday Night Football next week against the undefeated 8-0 Philadelphia Eagles. We'll get into... The lapses on offense, the successes and positives on offense, same thing on defense. We'll talk about special teams that had a major effect in yesterday's game. But overall, yesterday, and you guys know me, I hate playing shoulda, woulda, couldas. But yesterday was a lot of shoulda, woulda, couldas. Looking back at Washington's three-point loss. Another one-score game for the Vikings. I talked about it in the preview on Thursday. How Minnesota, working back even to last year when they were losing these one-score games, now you move in to this year and they were winning one-score games. 85% of their games, 85% of their games this year have been one-score games. But they've been finding ways whether yesterday was more so just Washington playing bad football and them winning that game, which we will get into, or them just taking advantage of their own opportunities and creating your own luck, they've been winning one-score football games. They've been doing it all year. And yesterday was another example of Kevin O'Connell's unit being able to take advantage of lapses from other teams and winning football games. And now they're 7-1. and one. Are they someone that I'm going to sit here and say that they're an NFC contender they're a Super Bowl contender. No, I think they have a ton to prove. And we saw a ton of lapses from that Minnesota Vikings team yesterday. However, from Washington's perspective, this is a game that they should have won. And there were a lot of things from the intricate optics of understanding the football game from a Ron Rivera perspective, coaching... Like a challenge on a third and one following a momentum shift and Taylor Heineke run and spin move on the outside of the field to get it to third and one. Why challenge a yard and lose a timeout there in the second half? When in reality, you convert it anyway. That's a play that I look back to in that ball game and I say, why? I put question marks around it. Because during the broadcast and on social media following the game, you really didn't see too much about it. But following Taylor Heineke's run to the outside and the spin move that he had, an excellent play, had him FedEx Field in a raucous, it was chaos after that play. An outstanding play. To get to third and one, you challenge it to get a first down. It's one yard, and you need your timeouts in the second half. We understand how important timeouts are in the second half. They don't carry over to other games. You, and, and you want to be able to use them when you get into two-minute warning. And I would have liked at the end portions of yesterday's game, would you had another timeout or two, how that changes that ball game. But it's the little things yesterday 
as to why Washington is still a mediocre football team. Four and five is below average. You are what your record says you are. And I just talked about how I don't think the Vikings are still contenders, but they're seven and one. So that tells me that they're a good football team. Washington yesterday coming in at four and four, that is a mediocre football team. How many years have we talked about Washington being a mediocre to an average to below average football team? That's what they've been since Ron Rivera's been here and really since the late 90s. That's what they've been, an average football team except for a a few fun years here or there. And it's the little things that bad teams continually aren't able to fix. John Ridgeway, end of the game. That sealed the ball game. You can't line up over the center. He's a defenseless player on the offense. You just can't do it. But what that comes down to is understanding the rules, which comes back to what? It comes back to coaching. The little things. Those are little finite details of special teams that the Everybody knows what a defensive pass interference is. Everybody knows what a false start is or a holding or an illegal motion. Everybody knows what that stuff is. But when it comes to line, you can't line up over the center and pursue over the center on a field goal attempt. Those are the little things that you can't do. And it comes back to bite you in a game that you really needed to get to five and four to stay competitive in the NFC East, considering the schedule that's coming up these next few weeks. It's the little things that always Washington has not been able to nail down, and not just nail down, but fix so many little things. Special teams, Percy Butler, sprinting full speed, Tressway drops one inside the five. He gets in the end zone, pushes it back. It's just slow your feet down and make a play in the football inside the five. Little things, flipping the field. It's always the little stuff that we look back to. Now, there's obviously big things in that football game yesterday that we can focus on, and we'll go to that now with Taylor Heineke on offense because, ladies and gentlemen, I get it. Number four provides a juice and positives, and everyone rallies around him both within the hashes and in the locker room. But every single time that ball is in the air, you hold your breath. And unfortunately, that is what's going to limit Taylor Heineke to be ever becoming a true starter in this league. He's going to be an average to, be, to above average backup in this league. That's what Taylor Heineke is. Now, here's the thing. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. Not everybody has to be a starter in the league. You can look at Chase Daniel over the years and the amount of money that he's made. Nick Foles, Chad Henney, John Wolford with the Rams. These guys are career backups. And they made money in a ton of years in the league. But for Taylor Heineke as the starter, these are the limitations that we've seen. But because of the amount of snaps that he's had where he's continuously doing the same things, you'd hope he'd improve upon some of the things mechanically because that's where his lapses come from. Mechanically, in his lower half. Not engaging his feet. Not driving downhill. When I say driving downhill, think about a pitcher on a mound, how they drive downhill with that stride, working downhill towards the plate. Taylor Heineke is very upright when he throws. 
doesn't use, doesn't engage that lower half. You've seen Taylor Heineke this year. Talk about how when he's playing, he's played golf a lot this offseason to engage that lower half. Get that core going. That's where your power comes from. It's not in your arm. You can have power in your arm. You can have just fundamental physical arm strength, but your power is engaged from your core, your thighs, and your lower half. That's where you engage that torque. Watch Josh Allen throw the football. Watch Patrick Mahomes, how they engage that core when they throw. You've seen Dak Prescott. You see that funny little warm-up dance that he can not dance, the plyometrics that he does before the games. It looks funny, but what that is is just engaging his hips, which brings his arm with him. Taylor Heineke doesn't do that. Everything is looped out into space off of his back foot at a, at a 3 o'clock arm angle and hopes it'll fall into somebody's hands wearing burgundy and gold. That's what we saw yesterday in the Curtis Samuel touchdown. That should have been an interception. Tip of the cap to the, to the back judge for giving us a hand and picking the safety on that play. That's an outstanding play by the ref. But that's an interception 90% of the time. And then the Logan Thomas interception late in that game, that's the one thing that Taylor Heineke couldn't have done in that situation. Just can't do it. You can't flip the field there. Drive the ball, waste three, four minutes, and just flip the field. Tress White was outstanding yesterday and being able to pin them inside the 15, inside the 10. Get it to your 35. Get it to your 40. Waste minutes off the clock and then force them to drive down the field as you were up 10 in the fourth quarter. Greg Joseph's 25-yard field goal to cut it to 17-10 came five minutes into the fourth. Ten minutes left in the game, Washington was up seven. But Taylor Heineke throwing the interception, it was almost just bound to happen because every single time that ball goes in the air, you hold your breath. You're on the edge of your seat. Does he make outstanding plays at times? Sure. The touchdown to Dax Milne on the flat route in the red zone was outstanding play. He drove that football to the pylon let Dax turn it upfield and get in the end zone. That's an outstanding play. But it doesn't happen enough. It's once out of 20 times that he throws. Heineke was 15 for 28 yesterday, 149 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. But he wasn't good. The Dax Milne throw was good. The spin move was great to get to third and one, which we talked about just a few minutes ago. But Taylor Heineke doesn't lift the performance ceiling of this offense, and he's not someone I can look to down the road to say, I want this guy starting 17 games. We've mentioned that before. He's not a guy that you want starting 17 games for you every single year. And those things that he has not adjusted are things that just won't be fixed. Because really, this is year three now that we've seen Taylor Heineke dating back to 2020 in the wild card loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That was almost two years ago. Over two years ago. A lot has happened then. He's improved since then. But the fundamentals of playing the quarterback position are things that are lapses in his game that I just don't know moving forward if anything's going to change. I don't see him having a 25 for 32 day for 250 yards and two touchdowns and no picks. I don't see him having a day like that. I think he can sling it around. But what I mean by slinging around, it's just, you know, he's, he's, he's a thrower right now instead of a quarterback. And there's a much, there's a huge gap and a difference between being a thrower of the football and a quarterback. He gets 
players juiced up. You see the relationship that he has with the offensive guys. Terry McLaurin, Logan Thomas. I love the chances that he gets for Terry McLaurin, giving him a chance to make plays on the football. Terry had nine targets, five catches, 56 yards yesterday. Didn't get in the end zone, and I thought he should have been targeted more in that second half. We saw him featured a lot in that first half. But for Taylor Heineke, he's one of those guys that if you criticize, Burgundy and Gold fans are going to show up at my door with with pitchforks. But he's someone where the, the negatives and the lapses mechanically are extremely evident. And I know Ron is very high on Taylor and that the story behind him is excellent. But at the end of the day, you got to win football games. And we heard the news before the game yesterday that most likely Dan Snyder is going to sell the team for around $7 billion, potentially moving into the March league meetings come early next spring. We will see if that happens. And if that's true, then that's the biggest news no matter what happened yesterday. That's the biggest news that came out of yesterday. However, Washington should have won that football game. Outside of Heineke on offense, looking at the offensive line, I thought Tyler Larson did an okay job. There were no bad snaps, whether that's exchange under center or in shotgun. Those are the little things I like to see. That was fine. Was he the best blocker in the world in the run game and, and when he's asked to set and pass pro? Absolutely not. He got bullied a couple times by Harrison Phillips. You look at Cornelius Lucas on the right side. Holy smokes. Did Zadarius Smith take him to school yesterday? Cornelius Lucas is someone that I've praised and has had one of the has had the best pass block win rate of offensive tackles in the league a few weeks ago. But yesterday he looked stiff as a board at right tackle yesterday. And he wasn't facing Zadarius Smith a lot. They move him around all over the place. Five tech outside the left tackle, five tech outside the right tackle, he'll slide inside. He'll step back and blitz some linebacker spot. He'll play that wide nine. But Cornelius Lucas yesterday was extremely stiff. I don't know if he didn't stretch out before the game or wasn't ready to play or just got his backside whooped or just did not have a good ball game for someone that's been decent this year, above average in pass pro, pretty damn good in pass pro if you ask me. Yesterday, you just want to look at that tape and throw it away for Cornelius Lucas. Really, really bad football protecting that arm side of Taylor Heineke yesterday. In the run game, it was more of the same. It was equal workload for Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson. Gibson, 11 carries, 36 yards. Brian Robinson, 13 attempts, 44 yards. Neither of them got in the end zone. Both of their longest rushes came under 10 yards. Gibson was 9 yards. Robinson's was 6 yards just really weren't able to get the ground game going yesterday. Had a nice jet sweep to Amari Rogers, Armani Rogers in the second half on that end around 24-yard pickup. I like seeing him in space considering the limited effect that Logan Thomas and John Bates had yesterday. I liked Armani Rogers getting involved. This is the second straight week where we've seen him get some designated touches at the line of scrimmage, not in not from the aerial attack, just at getting carries. And, and getting opportunities to make plays in space. And I like what I saw from Armani Rodgers. He runs well. He runs tough. Has long strides that eat up grass. He's been a nice story this year as a UDFA and a QB convert from Ohio University. Remember, he was a QB at Ohio 
for the Bobcats. Now he's a, a tight end for Washington. Kind of that similar transition that we talked about Logan Thomas made, obviously as a quarterback at Virginia Tech. Then the Cardinals drafted him in the fourth round and, and became a tight end for them in due time after things didn't work out at the quarterback position, long story short. So I like what I saw from Armani Rodgers. I, I want to see Logan Thomas get involved, though. I don't know if the injuries are still lingering, if he's not able to separate. I'm looking forward to turning on the All-22 here tomorrow and looking looking into that as far as what are his limitations right now because three targets, no catches, he's got to be involved. Logan Thomas is a top 15 tight end in this league. He's dynamic with his height and ability to create after the catch and a big body to take down where he usually takes multiple guys to get him to the ground. Logan Thomas has got to be involved in the offensive game plan if Washington wants to continue to win football games and stay competitive against an Eagles team that's obviously on a high right now at 8-0 and has faced zero adversity so far this fall. Logan Thomas is tight end one for this Washington roster. There's no question about it. Now, bringing John Bates in and and Rodgers and drafting Cole Turner this year, did that raise some eyebrows as far as what they want to do with Logan Thomas? Yeah, you, you... Optimally, don't want to have four tight ends active on game day. You know, Washington isn't the Baltimore Ravens. This this isn't a team that wants to deploy a ton of twenty-two personnel with two tight ends and two running backs, or or a thirty-two with three tight ends on the field. That's not Washington by any means. They run a lot in that eleven personnel, that base with one running back, one tight end. But having all these tight ends and Logan Thomas as your guy, not doing anything because John Bates is not a dynamic guy in space. He's not. Cole Turner's still a rookie. He's got some prowess as far as his hands and space, but he's been dealing with some injuries the last few weeks. And Rodgers, he's playing well. Give the guy a shot. Give him a shot. We saw him work a ton with the ones in the preseason. He's someone that has the ball in his hands. He's been creating. Yesterday, didn't have any targets through the air. Just that one carry. Get him some more touches if he's able to create 25 yards on the ground on an end around. Why not? Why not? So offensively yesterday, it was at times not pretty. I thought again that that defense was going to get gassed and just run, you know, just just tired from constantly being on the field. The time of possession yesterday, Washington actually had more time of possession than the Vikings, 30 minutes, 47 seconds compared to 29 minutes and 13 seconds. So pretty much even in a 60-minute ball game, but Washington's offense really was not great even though they took that 17 to 7 lead. As we that early portions of the fourth quarter, I want to see more from this offense. I want to see more from Taylor Heineke. Improve in the small areas. Continue to involve Terry McLaurin. I want to see Curtis Samuel even more involved. We didn't see anything from Deami Brown. Is he still injured? He's still hampered. Jahan Dotson's been on the shelf for the last month. Got to get him back. This is a lot of question marks that still arise and 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 are still just ways for Washington to really heighten their performance ceiling this fall. And yesterday you saw a couple times with Scott Turner getting cute, work back to that second half, get a nice play, and then you you run that fake double reverse, flip back to, to Taylor Heineke to target John Bates down the field. You saw Taylor Heineke look up at the press box, Scott Turner, and go, what, what are we doing here? We're getting too cute as they move into that second half. Just do the little things correct. And I want to see them up front. You know, the, the bodies have shuffled a ton along that front five, and we understand that. But Washington has got to run the ball better to make things easier in the play-action game, in the boot game, and as well, targeting guys, like I mentioned, with Logan Thomas 
John Bates, Armani Rogers, Cole Turner over the middle of the field, which sucks those linebackers up even more in coverage, sucks those safeties up, forces those corners to cover. Then you take your shot plays down the field with guys like McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, and Jahan Dotson when he gets healthy. So offensively, I need to see more moving into next week against a heck of a defense for the Philadelphia Eagles. So on the defensive side of the ball, this is where my positives and just a, a humongous tip of the cap to Jack Del Rio because we've been on Jack Del Rio for years. I've been on Jack Del Rio almost every podcast wanting to see more from this defense. And holy smokes, holy smokes, John Allen, Deron Payne, getting after people, man. John Allen, as much credit as we give number 93, we're not giving him enough. John Allen looks like one of the most dominant defenders in the damn league, folks. Absolutely fantastic. Throwing Garrett Bradbury around like he's a ragdoll. Splitting double teams like there's nobody there. Throwing Kirk Cousins at the ground. Same with Deron Payne. These dudes are playing with a juice that I just haven't seen. Limited Minnesota yesterday to 56 yards on the ground. 56 for an offense that's led again by Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison. Madison was completely invisible yesterday. Really irrelevant. Two carries, one yard. Dalvin Cook. 17 carries. That's a pretty good workload. 47 yards. Kept him out of the end zone. His longest rush was 9 yards. Jamin Davis made some plays. Saw a little bit of John Bostick hitting on the outside. Kendall Fuller. That's tip of the cap again at Kendall Fuller. Benjamin St. Juice. Now, that first drive, with no pressure on Kirk Cousins, That was easy pickings for that Minnesota offense and Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson looked like he was going to have a 15-catch, 250-yard day and three touchdowns on that first series because Washington couldn't hold his lunch. But it took that first series for Washington to say, hey, it's time to play ball. We got to pressure Kirk Cousins. It's amazing what happens when you let Kirk Cousins sit back rushing four and then you start to get pressure with five and six and see how the ball game changed. Because that second, third, and fourth quarter yesterday, Washington's defense was fantastic. And they've been fantastic, really, since week three. They've been, they've been excellent. Now, they're, they're middle of the road when you look at rankings and points per game and rush defense and pass yards allowed per game. But they are playing with their hair on fire right now. And... Even a guy like Montez Sweat yesterday, again, was creating pressure. And Kirk Cousins was hit, I believe, 15 times yesterday. He was battered and bruised leaving that ball game. Battered and bruised. Now, would I have liked to sit here and say it was a 17-14, 17-13 win for Washington yesterday? Yeah, I wish. I wish a couple, a couple things bounce Washington's way or you know, John Ridgeway doesn't jump there or, or doesn't... Yeah, jump over the, the long snapper there and push him back and basically seal the ball game and little things happen here or there and we're sitting here at five and four. But the focus on the positives and two guys in Payne and Allen that are core foundational 
members of this Washington defense and of this Washington franchise to play at the level that they've been playing at, I, I can't say enough. Then you work to the back end. And I've criticized Kendall Fuller every single podcast. As far as I don't want to see him in Burgundy Gold moving forward. I don't. Next year, year after that, I don't. Washington has to upgrade on the outside. A recent mock draft was just dropped by one of our one of my colleagues at the Draft Network. A certain corner from a certain school. Washington used a first-round pick out of last year. Was his pick in the middle portions of the draft. You can check that out at thedraftnetwork.com. But Kendall Fuller yesterday turned back the clock a little bit. Was sticky in coverage, good feet, using his hands well, finishing in between the hands of the receiver, wrangling down guys in open space one-on-one. I think I thought Benjamin St. Juice did take his lumps yesterday, but again, showed the physicality on the outside. I liked him getting up in Justin Jefferson's face because Jefferson was outside of that first series. Now, he ended up with seven catches for 115 yards and a touchdown, but four of those catches came on the first series. Touchdown came on that first series. Other than that, Washington made adjustments, which are huge. We talk about a lot, making those in-game adjustments, especially on a guy like him. But he only caught 50% of his targets. Seven catches on 13 targets. It's a pretty good job on number 18 yesterday from St. Houston Fuller. You didn't hear Rashad Wild Goose's name a ton. Danny Johnson made an excellent play on the interception in the end zone on a play where Benjamin St. Juice got his hands up in the face of Justin Jefferson. Those are positives from the secondary where Washington's really rolling out guys that have just been named for a long time in D.C. Fuller, St. Jude's second year. Danny Johnson's been here for, seems like, 20 years. Guys making plays. And those are the positives that you have to think about moving forward into next week specifically, keeping everything in the foreground, where you got A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith that you got to cover. We saw the kind of breakout game, if you will, from Benjamin St. Just against the Eagles when Washington faced them in week three. Those are the types of games to where next week, where Benjamin St. Just is going to have to play even better for Washington to stay in that ball game. Huge test coming up. But there were positives from yesterday's game despite the loss. Now, I know all you out there hoping for four straight wins, It's right there. It was right there for us. But the good teams don't make the bad, the mistakes that bad teams make. And Washington at four and five is a below average team. However, moving into the future, which I'm hopeful because these are some of the same things we've been talking about for years. If Washington is able to fix the little things with the talent that they have, it only takes a couple bounces here or there, just like Minnesota from last year to this year. Fixing the little things, understanding how to win ball games within the high leverage situations late in that fourth quarter, doing the little things. Time management, special teams, those are the little things. Managing your timeouts. Challenges on, 
on a third and one play where you killed momentum after a huge play by Taylor Heineke. Crowd was buzzed. You throw the challenge flag, you waste five minutes, you come back to the broadcast, and the whole crowd is dead. Those are the little things that Washington has to fix if they ever want to work into a portion that we move into next year in, in nine games played where they have six wins, where they maybe have seven wins and you're seven and two. Those are little things that I'm focusing on looking back to yesterday. Because right now, the commanders are playing competitive football. 20 to 17 loss to a 7 and 1 team is competitive football. And it is the NFL. This isn't your Pop Warner team down the street. This is the NFL where it's hard to win football games. And most of the time, it's a play here or there that switches the ball game, whether it's a win or a loss. And that's what it came down to yesterday. So, again, a 20 to 17 loss for the Washington Commanders as they head in to Monday Night Football against the Philadelphia Eagles. So that's going to do it for today's podcast. Always appreciate you guys tuning in. You can find me on Twitter if you don't already, if you don't follow me already, underscore Ryan Fowler. All my written work, audio content, video content is housed at thedraftnetwork.com. Hope you guys enjoyed your weekend. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a like, review, share, subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, wherever you get your news, your sports, your podcasts, you can find us at Commanding the Huddle. Always appreciate you guys tuning in. I will talk to you on Thursday as we prepare for the Philadelphia Eagles again, the second matchup for Washington against the Eagles. Remember, in week three, Washington lost to the Eagles 24-8 at home, a game where Washington really didn't look Competitive, even though, again, there were positives in that ballgame, but they have to improve as going to four and six with the bye week. Uh, it's a late bye, but creeping up here in the next month or so, you do not want to get to four and six. We don't want to sit here as we move into next Tuesday and quickly coming off a three game win streak. Now you got a two game losing streak and you're four and six. And people start thinking about April and free agency and trades, and who's going to be here, who's not going to be here. Focus on now. Focus on the positives that we did see yesterday. Tinkering the little things. We saw the lapses that the Eagles had against the Texans, especially in that first half on Thursday Night Football. I don't care that it's the Texans. Again, it's the NFL, ladies and gentlemen. Everyone is here for a reason. Hard to win games, the NFL. But am I going to sit here and say that Washington has no chance against the Eagles? Absolutely not. I think they have a very good chance against the Eagles. It's going to be tough to win at Lincoln Financial Field against an 8-0 team on Monday Night Football on the road in that environment is going to be tough. But we've seen Washington do it before. So that is going to do it for today's podcast. Again, always appreciate you guys tuning in. I'll talk to you on Thursday. Full preview of the Philadelphia Eagles set to come. Hope you enjoyed your weekend. I will talk to you in a few days. I'm Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network, and this is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.